You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The JSC has closed its doors for another day, the first day of a new shortened trading week, so it's time for the five o'clock shadow. And as always on a Tuesday, it's the double header Dream Team edition with Joanne Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town and David Shapiro from Sassman Securities in Johannesburg. I want to get the housekeeping out of the way first because we're going to talk about something a little bit meatier later on. So Joanne, I'm going to start with you on a few news items. You sent out a tweet earlier today saying, I'm looking forward to seeing what the South African Reserve Bank's um, next um, policy is going to be, given the fact that the rand is 1850. In fact, it went to 1862 on Friday. And that was in response, I think, Joanne, to load shedding potential levels 8 to 10. I didn't even know there were those levels. Am I, have I been reading the wrong article? Uh, no, no, we, that's what we've been now being told. And I, there was a Ned Group economist, I think it was Ned Group economist, who came out and said we were very close to... Um, you know, complete shutdown of the grid in February, and that's the middle of our summer. So, you know, it's still a huge risk for us. Eight till ten still means a light stay on, I guess, for a bit. But my comment had nothing to do with load shedding. My comment has got everything to do with the fact that I think the Saab should never have raised rates by 50 basis points recently. And I know David also shared a comment on that as well, because in an economy where we have supply-led inflation, and trying to protect the rand in a global economy makes no sense to me. I don't know why you want to try and destroy the little bit of economy we've got to try and protect the rand. And look where we are. He raised rates by 50 basis points. The rand strengthened for about three days. And we're back to square one again. And all we've ended up doing is having higher rates in this economy, an economy that can't afford it. And, so I was being very sarcastic. And that my, is being borne out by the fact, uh, uh, by the, by the fact that the manufacturing data that came out today for the month of February, a couple of months late, but ne- nevertheless, it shows how weak the economy is. Manufacturing production fell year on year by 5.2% in the month of February. David, you come in on this one. This is a, 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 a it's not even a stuttering economy. It's an economy on its knees. Totally. I I absolutely agree with Joanne, and I've been taking this uh, course, I mean, before even this rate, before the one before as well, saying that, uh, and and she's absolutely right, that there's nothing we can do. We are taking inflation. We are not creating it. We're not causing it. So why make this economy weaker? And it is on its knees. It's, it's, I don't think there is anything happening. You know what, you know what worries me more than anything else? And this is anecdotal is that, uh, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of friends, acquaintances, colleagues, all of whom are in business. And the problem is that you can start to feel the strain in what they're doing. Whereas, you know, they brave to a point and everything's okay. But you get past that one level where they can't say that anymore and they're starting to suffer and it's affecting their personalities and everything. And it's the, it's the load shedding. It's the, all the other issues that are gripping this, uh, this economy. So I'm starting to find it in smaller businesses. You know, in people who are running those, of course, if you're Tiger Brands or if you're Naspers, you can get through this or you're for a shop right and so on. You know, you've got masses of shareholder funds. But when you're a small business, it's a lot, lot more difficult. Well, how do you cope as a small business in this country? You've got high, punitively high interest rates. The cost of capital here is ridiculous. 
you've got inflation that you've got very little control of. We, we live in a country as mm. almost as if we're at 4% unemployment because mm. the labor unions destroy what kind of pricing power there is for labor in this country. And they've got a central bank that's Bundesbank in its mentality. I, it, yeah. it boggles my mind. I mean, <laughs> he, he has no. I mean, he raised rates, and I, I put a tweet out saying, "Will this mean that oil prices will drop? Will this mean that the dollar will fall?" Of course not. He's got no control of any of these no. things. No. And if you could tell me that Saab could stop wage increases from government employees, then I go fantastic. Then it's you know worth doing. Mm. But that's not working either. So what on earth is the point? Mm. It's hard enough to run a business this country with a cost of capital like it is, and he's making it higher. I, I mm. see no point in it. And then you've got load shedding. I've always to said this. Sorry, sorry David, Lindsay? before you go on, let, go, me, go. let me let me just butt in here, and you two can you can two can natural in a minute. Oh. I've always said oh. that in South Africa, it's not appropriate to follow uh, the developed world um, uh, policies on interest rates, on monetary policy. We're not a developed world country. It's a, it's a second world country at best. And the people that you're, the people that are the main drivers of the South African economy, the, the consumer, most of them don't have exposure to interest rates. So why raise interest rates in order to curb demand when it means nothing to them? It's I'm, I'm being rather clumsy in my um, in my. Description I know we here. know where you're going. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. So why raise but interest rates? You're not Finland. You're not Taiwan. You're not America. You're not Britain. You're not Germany. Don't raise rates. Cut rates. Well, and do as well. I mean, Lindsay, <laughs> well, this is the, the reason they <laughs> they raise interest rates here, okay, because they're desperate for portfolio flows from foreigners. So we have our interest rates high enough on money here. Foreign money will come in, and guess what? The rand will strengthen. It'll weaken. What they fail to no, what, no, no, but what they fail to recognize, which is what I think Brian Cantor writes about yeah. and what every economist who's worth listening to talks about, ultimately what you want in a country is strong growth, which leads to FDI flows, foreign direct investment, which is much more sustainable in the long run, and that's when the foreigners buy your currency. Yeah. So if you look, you know, a lot of people talking about South Africa at the moment, and it's quite scary this weekend, how many foreigners who are now picking up from the, the Wall Street Journal to different publications saying, gosh, South Africa's got a real problem. Why would you invest there? Because mm. And why would you invest in the RAND? We don't want portfolio flows. We want FDI. And, and all we're doing is we're papering over the cracks. Because the second the interest rates fall, that money will leave again. So what's mm. the point? I, I do not understand it. But you see... But if you, if like David and I will talk about this, every time I write a comment like this on Twitter, someone goes, oh, but look at Turkey. Uh, it's <laughs> like, you know, like, look at Turkey. I mean, the, the, their complete yeah, madman know, runs that country. And he failed, he had fired his central bankers. That's a little bit different to us saying our interest rates are punitive, punitive enough. We don't need to raise them more. Okay. So we, know, it's, we should cut rates, go, in other words, Joanne, to stimulate growth so, and to show that we're in, uh, being run by people that want to expand the economy rather than people want to the people that want to constrain it. Is that what you're saying, Joanne? Well, look, I think it's also partly government needs to come to the party and you need government to curb inflation on their side of things. So administered prices are the biggest problem in South Africa. It's not all the other issues. And the Saab has no control over that. We need to have a free labour market here, and we don't. Okay. Anyhow, I mean, probably get fired you, you, from no, saying no, these no. comments. No, but you're so. not going to be fired. You're just, <laughs> you, you know, you can't. The problem is that you've got, when I say you've got no support, you've got no So You know, as long as we have this government in control, you know, and I've been saying this for a long time, I said that 
the one thing I do know is that the people who've taken us down are not going to be the people who take us up again. Yeah, we yeah. just cannot, we cannot function with these, you know, with the present government. Uh, there's no ways we can turn it around because they are, you know, I don't even want to go into it. It's so ideological. It's yes. just impossible. This is not a business play. Diane, you know what I look at? Well, Lindsay, you're, I, I, I was just looking this morning mm. and at the Newmont, new, uh, new uh, merger. Newcast, Newmont. Yeah. And I said, you know, the biggest gold mine, I know this is irrelevant or might appear irrelevant, but this is the biggest gold um, mining company in the world. Uh, North and South America, Australia, West Africa, Papua New Guinea. Mm. That's where their mines are. You know, I was looking, South Africa, nothing. Not nothing. Yes, yes, we're mined out. Yes, we're mined out, but we're not that mined out. In other words, there's absolutely no gold in South Africa anymore. And I'm using that as, as being symptomatic of yes. what's happened to this country. You know, it's not, yes, I know we've had the best years, and, but we're not there anymore. All I'm trying to say is that every time, in fact, we had a, we had a, a, a conference call from um, Alpine Macro and their, their chief economist or, uh, their, you know, he was talking to us and he was talking about gold. And we're saying, listen, we don't do that anymore. You know, <laughs> his his opinion, you know, his mind, his in his mind said we were still gold, but we're not. And and uh, but the point is that we're not even mining anymore. People are not coming here for even mining and to do mining anymore because of how difficult it is. And you talk to a chap like Peter Major, he'll tell you what's around here. You know, he'll tell you that there are opportunities. We're just killing it. Do you know what so, was interesting about uh, the, the creation of the world's biggest, uh, potentially the world's biggest yeah. gold mining company, is that they just say at the end, they say, and also we get uh, greater exposure to copper. So Newmont want, wants new crest copper yeah. as well, because an old metal becomes a new metal when it comes to clean energy, David. So it's copper as well yeah. as gold. It's It's copper. You know, there's a, I mean, we've got the, the world's biggest platinum resources. I know that, uh, the rhodium price is going down and the palladium price is coming down. And, and, um, you know, um, sorry, platinum is holding its levels, but we're not doing anything in this country. We still got a massive array of opportunities, uh, that must be there for us to exploit, you know, to, uh, exploit. And we're not doing anything. Why? Because every time, and it comes back to, to Joanne and her FDI, every time you want to start a project here and you're going to find this with, um, you're going to find this with a re renewable energy, what's going to happen is that, and we, and, and again, just listen, we, we see it with all the competition, uh, outcomes, competition commission outcomes as well. They, Every time there's a deal or every time somebody wants to do, he has a list. This is what you've got to do to do it, which is all politically motivated. In other words, they don't open the, they don't roll out a red carpet. They give you a checklist. You want to do the deal? You've got to do this A, B, C. It's a whole rule book. Mm. And I'm saying, as that's why I'm saying, as long as It's a very polite way of putting it, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very polite way of putting it. Um, just on that subject, though, I just I chaired a panel today on climate change and, you know, the renewable story. Uh, and it's just so sad. Again, to, back to your point, David, I mean, there is so much renewable energy. This country has so much sun and wind and, you know, the ability to produce very cheap electricity. But you need government to come to the party. Yeah. You need government to and 
you need ESCOM to unbundle its transmission, which I believe in the budget was, was proposed. Is that actually going ahead now? Are we going to see ESCOM unbundled transmission? Because these guys were saying once transmission is unbundled, there's a lot of people who want to put money into it if they can mm. privatize it. And there is the ability for South Africa to have much cheaper electricity going forward. Look, it's not just a South African issue. It's the global issue, right? The whole world's trying to be better about the kind of energy it produces. South Africa has the ability to do these things. You talk about gold mines, copper mines, etc. Mm. We just need government buy-in. And again, back to your <laughs> point, it's not the same people who will take us there. No, you're, but you're right. So, so I guess people listening to us talk and ranting like we do... Just we're going to make sure you vote. <laughs> no, we're not ranting, you know, Joan. We're, we're putting yeah. forward reasonable <laughs> arguments. You know, we're, we're not ranting. We're not <laughs> being anti-South African. I get so many tweets, well, messages you know, saying you're so anti-South Africa and everything, and this is the Rainbow Nation. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, of course it's fantastic. There's some wonderful people here. But on the other hand, yeah, there are some really nasty people as well. I mean, for example, the, the, the news, I think I saw it in the Daily Maverick or Business Maverick this morning, saying they're going to now revamp these ageing very expensive coal-fired power stations. And the reason they're doing that is because they're more labour-intensive than renewables, Joanne. Don't you think, David? No, no, no. No, no, it's, it's a real problem, right? So this is something we discussed today on the call. Uh, I mean, these guys were horrified that this was a proposal because we've got a lot of foreign money coming in. And the only reason they're coming in is for us not to do coal projects. Mm. So it's almost like we're laughing in their faces. And there's something else we need to be aware of. And I, David probably knows this from a mining perspective. But if we want to export our goods going forward, if, if the energy yeah. that we are using to export mm. to create yeah. those goods in the first mm. place comes from dirty coal, mm. then we have massive tariffs they're going to uh, put on our goods. Yeah. So not only are we going to try and get it to Transnet, and Transnet yeah. won't even let it leave the harbour, but if we're, got, we're lucky enough it left the harbour, now it arrives in Europe and it's more expensive and we yeah. have to compete on the global scale, even with our weak rand. Because these massive tariffs, because the energy used to produce these goods is is yeah. dirty. I, it's a joke. Yeah, but what, you know, people are are ignoring what Joanne's saying. Everybody is treating it as a joke, and it's not a joke. And and it's 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 something whether you believe in it or not. And it's it's a warning signal I give to everybody. You know, when they invest in projects or in companies, um, don't you know, take this seriously. You know, people want to do the right kind of thing. And there are going to be, if you, you know, what I'm trying to say is the Black Rocks of this world and other organizations um, will not invest in businesses that mm. Joanne's talking about. And they will not deal with it in the same way as as we have an issue here with empowerment and so on. Believe me, you're going to yes, get it with it's much bigger. It's going to be much, much bigger. Take it seriously. You know, don't brush it aside but, as being some madman. Not at all. But here's the other issue, right? So our banks in South Africa are desperate to lend for these renewable projects. Yeah. Mm. We have private enterprise chomping at the bit saying, yeah. what can we do? Because, again, it's cheap to produce renewable energy in this country because mm. we have a surplus of sun and wind. We do. We have the mm. right climate for it. Yeah. So let, a bit like our commodity story, we have the right climate for getting stuff up the ground. We have the right climate for renewables. Let's put our heads together and get this done. Mm. But you see, you've got big companies, I mean, big governments still saying, Let's protect the coal industry. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, was it was it SARS this week or last week that came out with the amount of money that's being lost due to load shedding? Surely government's going to look at this and go, Wait, we can't actually afford it anymore. We can't afford to be socialist mm -hmm. in our thinking. It's it's political, Joanne. It's political, yes, and that's come back to you this. know you know it, it all comes back to that, and it all comes back to um, invested interests. 
uh, in the coal mines, in the coal industry, and so on. And and the problem, my big problem, is that you know, you know, Joanne, what what no one understands is that when you look at a pro, and, and, and I can never get this message through. In the old days, and I'm going back to the old days, and I mean when South <laughs> Africa was formed, every time, <laughs> now, Lindsay, every time you sunk a shaft, and yeah. I'm using sinking a shaft as building a business, yes, a community was formed around it right? because everybody benefited from it. Mm. Not the people who owned the shaft, but the people who worked there and so on. You got schools, you got the chemist, you got the doctor, you got the concession store, you got everything. And every time they closed the shaft, the reverse took place. So if you go down to places in the Free State or in the Western Transvaal, wherever, you'll see the mine dumps and you'll see how many communities have shrunk. And that's the whole point. If you start a business, if you do FDI, I don't care whether it's owned by a green person, a yellow person, whoever, it doesn't make any difference. And if that person's making, once that person employs people in the district, everyone benefits. Mm -hmm. You get the economic multiplier going through. So you've got to encourage those green and yellow and purple people to come and and start projects here. Regardless, you don't have to give them a rule book because once they do that, there's going to be the huge economic multiplier that takes place. But, David, in the Western Cape, we are starting to see that happening. Yeah. We, we started to see our mayor came out this morning or afternoon saying we're going on to our third round of projects on renewable energy, getting it back onto the grid. We've got these businesses here. It's tiny, but only employing women to create solar panels. There, there, there's going to be mm. enormous – there's going to be a mm. gold rush. Mm. And I think mm. – Who's the guy mm. from Nedbank that talked about the green rush where, where, where we start seeing people putting a huge amount of money into renewable mm. energy and it's going to create lots of jobs. Yeah. We just need to let the old industry transition to the new one. And it's not easy because you can't go from, no. you know, no coal overnight. It's a transitioning aspect, but we have to start the process. Yes, and, exactly. and right now, that's the history of South Africa. That's, that, that's, that's, that's the history of South Africa. When, well, when it's it the recent history of South town. Africa. It's the last 25, 30 years history of, of South Africa. As, as <laughs> no, Joanne no, says, I'm talking we are about blessed the with... transition of a country. Yes. Uh, well, the, the transition should be, I can remember about five years ago, and I was watching a, this BBC programme to say that 100% of Britain's energy on this particular day, it was June the 30th, 2016 or something like that, was was provided by renewables, wind and yeah. solar. And I thought, wait a second, this, this is Britain, for goodness sake, with filthy weather most of the year, and South Africa, blessed with all the natural resources that you can shake a stick at, isn't doing anything about it. It's bureaucracy, it's vested interests, yeah. and it annoys me. Now, I'm getting away from this subject, because last, week, <laughs> as, because last week, as promised, we talked about valuing a company. How do you value a company? Now, David, I'm going to ask you a few questions here. How long have you been in the business? Because you are arguably the most experienced and well-known money manager and commentator <laughs> in South Africa. And that's I'm, not, I'm not flattering you. Experience means I've done the years. How long have you been in the business? Uh, 51 years. 51 wow. years in the business. Yeah, I remember that. I sent you. I sent a tweet out, and I got more re- reaction to that tweet than anybody else when it was your 50th anniversary. Okay. Uh, Are you when- four years old? <laughs> yeah, nice, uh, Joe. Yeah. Okay. Very, very corny. Um, David, um, when you first started, and when people, you're a CA, but when people started talking about the stock market, uh, your father and uh, all his colleagues and everybody oh. else, uh, how did they say you should value a company? What was the metric? 
or measure that we, they used? What was it? We used dividend yield. And, and there was, I mean, largely because um, a lot of the South African mines, uh, the attraction of those mines was dividend, you know, getting your dividends, because um, mines were a wasted resource. Therefore, it had a limited life. And the way that you got your money back was through dividends. Another point was that you were able to export dividends. So remember, you were de- we were dealing in a in a tight economy. But I think a lot of it was around, you know, more. We called it. We we started on earnings yield, which is the reciprocal of the PE. Yeah. You know, this is earnings over price, whereas PE is price over earnings. Same thing, but uh, it was earnings yield and dividend. But, okay. Uh, dividends were very important. Yeah. All right, but uh, a PE ratio is something I still hear from many commentators. Yeah. Uh, the PE of mm. this company, Tesla, is two hundred and fifty, so you can't possibly buy it. Mm. Last week, David, and this is the reason we're having this discussion now, is because you poo-pooed PE. You were a PE mm. poo-pooer mm. last week, mm. and that's why I want to. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. <laughs> Stop giggling. Um, this, now, when you have a look at a company and you read its balance sheet and its income statement and its forward, uh, its forward prognosis of what the company is going to do, David, what do you use? What, uh, what are your top one or two metrics? I, I, I brought this out tongue-in-cheek as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're still earnings are very, very important. Okay. Yes. But when you look at earnings, you can't compare the earnings of company A with company B. They both make shoes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they might be shoe companies, but you can't compare them. What I was trying to illustrate yes. in those 140 letters that you're allowed to do on a tweet or something like that was that sometimes there are embedded values or, or there's values that you cannot see or uh, equate. What's the word I'm looking for? Quantify. Yes. And, 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 those give those hidden values. It could be management. It could be where they position, the time they've been in the market, the product they produce, and so on. Start to give those businesses um, an extra kind of value that you can't put into a multiple. Therefore, you know what I'm trying to say is that there are sometimes companies with very high multiples that we start to question. And yet you can't question that there's something that the market sees that we're not seeing on that spreadsheet. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, I hope that came across as uh, No, it it did, but I was interested in something that was the Mm. almost the foundation of anyone that started in the stock market uh, a a few decades ago. Uh, They say right the PE ratio because that's uh, that's uh, you know it's the price to Mm. the earnings. Mm. I mean, it's it's even even I can understand that. What I don't understand today, and Jaron, I'll bring you in on this one, is what you use. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it free cash flow? Is it cash to book? And also, if you look at ABSA versus a gold mine, sorry, a bank. I won't single out ABSA. Bank to a gold mine. Are there different ways to value different companies from different sectors, Joanne? Are you asking me now? Okay. Yes. Uh, so, look, when it comes to PE ratios, I think it's a very simplistic way of looking at things, and it's very lazy. Uh, and the better example of that, I think, is markets. So when someone says the P of the market is this and the P of the market is that, mm. I, I think it's almost irrelevant these days because it has a lot to do with what sectors make up that market. So it's, there used to be the way you say Europe was cheaper than the U.S. because, you know, the U.S. was expensive. But strip out the tech shares from that from the U.S. markets and suddenly 
you know, like for like, it didn't look this as bad. So you have to be very careful of just using one P multiple to yeah. describe anything. Back to David's point, though, about companies, the problem again with PE ratios, it's one year's earnings. It might be forward PE or historical PE, mm. but it's it's a point in time earnings number. And a company is not at one point in time. It's, it's a combination of yeah. many, many years of PE ratios. But I think what we're all forgetting in this debate about, you know, how do you value companies? And for me personally, I've always been a big fan of peg ratios. So kind of what is implied in the growth rates of that company and what are you paying for it? But I think the one that makes me feel most comfortable has always been DCFs. Now, a lot of people will say DCFs are like, what is your earnings number? What is your discount rate? But it gives you an idea. It gives you a forecasting idea of if earnings are this, if the interest rate is that, that seems like a fair valuation to me. But what I'm, where I'm coming from to, in today's market, though, and this is where this whole is quality rightly priced. And I think it's this kind of the argument David was coming about when you're buying a luxury goods company or a, a premium consumer staples company, what's the correct price for it? I think that price today is very different to what it was five years ago. And, and the reason I say that is because I think there's a competing cost of capital argument today. So you have to be aware of what interest rates are when you look at what companies are worth. It can't just be a PE ratio. It has to be a PE ratio relative to the current prevailing discount rates. And I think that's where this conversation becomes a lot more nuanced. It's not a P ratio on its own. Have I spoken too much? No, you haven't. <laughs> no, 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 never no, accuse no, you of that, a, David. Discounted cash flow, what do you think? Yeah, mm. absolutely. But what you see, what you have to do, and, and, and this is where I'm coming from, I'm, I'm behind Joanne because she's very – you know, supremely intelligent, very articulate. Oh, and I mean it. I mean it. No, honestly, your arguments are well rounded. Great big love in here. Yeah. <laughs> no, wonderful. But what, Lindsay, where, where yes. we go wrong sometimes, and this is where I argue um, with younger people and people who are looking, you know, have done their CFAs and they're putting the spreadsheet together. How do you value future growth? How do you know where this management team is going to take that business? You can't. That's the difficulty. In and other you're words, right, David. I mean, it is, you know, it is difficult. It, that's what I'm trying to say. Let's, you know, how we'll look historically at where a business is. Uh, in fact, if you look at embedded value, embedded value in an insurance company is the present value. Okay, it's the present value of contracts that have been written now and the mm -hmm. future flows there. What you don't know is, well, what contracts are going to be written in the future? You know, in and other words, and you also they, don't know when they're going to die. Exactly. So no, no, it's, no, no, mm. it's, it is a cr very tricky business, but you mm. have a range of outcomes. Mm. Uh, and I guess, you know, I was thinking about a lot today because Lindsay said we would be discussing this. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, let's take the property market, for instance. Yeah. And this is, I think, is a really great analogy to describe valuations and a term that most people understand. Were people who bought residential property in the U.S. the last 10 years, were they incredibly clever? Or did they get very lucky with interest rates that went from higher levels to lower levels? Uh, and I think we mustn't confuse luck in the market with real skill. So you say it's difficult to analyze a company because you don't know what management they're going to do. You don't want the new products they can come up with. Yet we also do know there are times in history where interest rates are high and when interest rates are low. And that has a massive bearing on valuations. So there's the absolute valuation number that we all care about and we think about and what's the bright P or what's the DCF for a company. But also what's the prevailing market environment mm -hmm. 
around that company. Yeah. And that also has a massive bearing on the valuation argument. So to your point about, you know, how do you f- value future earnings? Well, when interest rates were naught, there wasn't a price high enough because yeah. you didn't matter because blue sky was worth an inf- infinite amount of money. In an environment today where you can put your money in the bank account and earn 4 to 5% in dollars, suddenly yeah. those companies are worth a lot less because bird in the hand is more valuable. Now, I'm not have... arguing that point. You're yeah, absolutely no, right. That's, no, no, but... you, must take, you must take interest rates as a given. You know, in other words, uh, you have to factor that in. I'm not, uh, no, not going to okay, argue that. Okay, but let's yeah. go back to luxury goods companies yeah. then and consumer staples where you talked about. I hate to tell you this, but <laughs> LVMH had just come out with some stunning results and I see their prices going up again. So, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I think. Explain you know, that to me. <laughs> do you know that Credit Suisse in 2000, yeah. I think it was nine, wrote this brilliant report on why you would want to buy luxury goods companies because oh. the rich were getting richer and the poor mm. were getting poorer. Mm. And, yeah. and if you wanted to play the, the rising Gini coefficient in the world, yeah. you had to go long luxury yeah. goods companies. Yeah. Well, we've lived in that world for a very long time now. If we do oh, go yeah. into a world where you know, money gets spread out amongst everyone. Mm. You know, huh? <laughs> does that Don't mean luxury happen. goods? <laughs> okay, no, 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 now we're going to Nirvana, and it's probably never going to happen, let's be honest. Yeah. David Shapiro, world... Joanne, David Shapiro is somebody that re- invests the money that he, he, he doesn't want to spend. Um, I noticed that... Um, uh, you're a Ferrari driver. You're a Ferrari fan. I don't know if you're a Formula One Ferrari fan, David, but um, what's his name? What's the young Frenchman that lives in Monaco? What's his name? Uh, Charles Leclerc. Okay, he had yeah. a watch stolen, and the watch cost him $268,000. Now, I don't care how rich you are. That's stupid. That is really stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's actually almost obscene. He should be, there should be a court of over, overspending, like someone today that spent $15 million in Dubai on a, number, on a number plate. And that, that was that, the most yeah. stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. But uh, just before that was the watch story. But you would rather uh, have the, I think you've got a swatch on your wrist, which is 23 years old, that cost you 50 euros or something. And you do that. And the money that you've saved, you put into luxury good companies. Because you're profiting from people's stupidity. No doubt about it. I cannot understand it. That's why I used the example. I mean, what happened is I picked up this magazine, Joanne, which comes with Business Day, you know, which is based on how to spend it. Well, this is this is a South African equivalent business day called Wanted. And I looked and they had these models with bags and every bag was costing 52,000 rand or something. You know, they, they converted to, to, to rand. I said, who would spend 52,000 rand on a bag? You know, and it's, it's just insane. But, um, whatever people are doing it. And, and, um, the point is, well, if they're going to do that, if there are enough people to do it and they can charge that, the margin must be, I don't know, 40% on that, 40, 50% on yeah. that. You've got to buy that company. You just, yeah, you just have remember, to buy the company. But you've got to get more and more people to buy those bags. Uh, and and I guess where I'm coming from is, at some point, how many bags Japan. can any one human have? <laughs> Believe me, there are there are ladies I know who have special rooms to display their bags and shoes. 
And, just, and, and, and I can't say it's the lady because men do that with wristwatches watches, as well. Yes. I yeah. don't. But I'm saying go down. Jan, you're down there. Go down to the waterfront, wherever you are. Go into the LVMH or the Louis Vuitton shops and go and, and ask the people if they're selling the bags there and go have a look at them. Believe look, me, they're selling them. No, no. Look, there's no doubt there's a market for these things. And there's no doubt the environment we've come out for the last couple of years has encouraged that market to grow. I'm not denying that. And, and people, you know, some people want to buy these things. I don't understand it, but there's a world out there that exists. <laughs> maybe I just don't have enough money. David, you talk about <laughs> how many bags can you have, or Joanne, was it you that sent that? But what, what was the, the woman's name who was the wife of the leader of the Marcus. Philippines? Oh, Marcus. 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 Yeah. Thousands <laughs> of pairs of shoes, a whole house full of shoes. I mean, so there are people with an appetite for this sort of thing. Very insecure people, David. As, I, as we wrap I, this up, I always take whenever I'm in the United States, and I'm with my wife. We go to Saks Fifth Avenue or to Bloomingdale's. Yeah. We go up to the shoe, and I put her next to a pair of uh, Le Breton shoes. Oh, you know, with beautiful. a red heel. I say, <laughs> beautiful. I, okay, so I take a picture of her. I say, because this is the closest you're ever going to get. <laughs> She might also break her neck. I married a communist daughter. It's about the best thing that I ever did. <laughs> right. So, okay, um, but you're but just, you're arguing, David, that that market is still very buoyant, is what you're really you, saying. I, and you know, Joanne, if you look, and I mean, I'm staggered by what I read. If you look, and I love Ferrari, I love the share, not the car. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that they produce the, and they control their production because they have to maintain the um, what's the desire to own it, the uh, exclusiveness. Yes. And whatever they produce, they sell. And you have to wait. The Hermes, or I can't pronounce it, H E R M E S, Hermes, yes, I can't Hermes. get the accent produce this Birkin bag that you have to qualify for. Oh, no. And, and we <laughs> do you not know this. $10,000 a bag. And Birkin comes from Jane Birkin, who was a soft porn star during my youth. I think Lindsay's a little too young, and so are you. I'm when sorry, they had I don't watch song porn, Jetting. David, like you do. But no, anyway. no, I'm not. This is You're moving on swiftly. <laughs> this was the song Je T'aime. With yes. Sergey, you know, which was all the yes. smoochy song at the social. And from that, this bag was developed where today the secondhand bag costs more than the original. I mean, mm. it's like a, an iconic item. And you say, look, sir, if people are going to line up and want this bag, I mean, you've got you to buy Hermes. You know, I think the results are also coming out. It's just crazy. Mm. Okay. Anyway. But, all right. This, but, David, just back to markets, though, and how we think about valuations. Yeah. Okay, so listening to you, I'm going, I'm a complete buyer, massive narrative, love the story. What's the right rating for that company? That, Would you, pay, you know, I is it a 30p, is it a 40p, is it a 50p? It's, What's the price? That's because, the point. And, so, and you're saying there's no price too high. Is that what no, you're arguing? That's what I'm saying to you on this. And this okay. has changed. You know, I'm trying in my mind to say, hold on a sec. Uh, I wish I could get it quickly enough to give you some kind of indication here. But, I mean, if you look at something like Hermes, I mean, it's, yes. I don't know, it's at a 50, 60, 70 PE. 
you know, and its growth is good, it's nice and healthy, but it's certainly not on your peg ratio. Uh, you know, um, it, it's under one. Um, so, which is bad. What's it got to be the other way? No, P, no, no. Uh, it's, growth. It's got, Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's, that's under mm, one. Makes it cheap. Mm, yeah. Mm. But, but I guess, again, it comes down to people listening to this call. It doesn't mean that there aren't some companies that you might pay silly P multiples for or however oh, yeah. you define valuations. But but the vast majority of your, your shares in a portfolio are going to be things where you think there's a discount to the underlying net asset value, that you think there's still upside to the share price. There are other things that will drive mm. it. So either it's mm. cheap or there's going to be some earnings, spectacular earnings the markets aren't thinking about. And maybe there is a cohort of shares in a portfolio that will always stay expensive. And, and you're probably not wrong yeah. on that, David. But, I, but I, I, just, mm, yeah. I use that with, with Richmond. In the South African market, Richmond was unbundled from Remgro. Must be oh god, more than twenty, maybe even thirty years ago. I can't mm-hmm. remember. From the point that it was unbundled, every analyst would tell me every year, too expensive, too expensive. Can't buy it. Multiple too high, and that share has just gone up and up and up and up, all the time. You know, on that. And that always led me to believe, hold on a sec, there's something here that we, we don't quite got. Mm. Okay, so then you obviously follow Richmond, know it well. Um, we yeah. have Rupert the Bear, who yes. looks after Richmond. Yeah. What, what's he been saying lately? Because before 08... No, warned, never listened to him. But he, never never, but he was right. In 08, he warned about the markets and said, be very careful, something's about to go wrong. And I would imagine, I can't remember it now, but imagine Richmond share price fell during 08 and, mm. and didn't stay at the lofty levels of those PE ratios. Mm. So what's he saying at the moment about the world economy and where we're sitting? Don't listen to him. <laughs> Don't listen to him. Okay, that's, okay, enough, right. that's, that's enough about that now. Okay. Because uh, Rupert's, okay. uh, Rupert's a great friend of mine and he listens. Uh, so, so I just want to give you two stories now. The first one is that, you know, the lipstick factor, uh, Joanne, where you can't afford the dress, so you buy the lipstick because it's still yes. the same brand yes. as the dress. Well, I did that when I was in my youth. I first started in financial services in London. I bought a Hermes tie in Bond Street. It cost me about £75, which is an enormous amount of money. Uh, three decades ago and it's uh, orange it's beautiful i've still got it it's lots of little koalas um clinging onto eucalyptus trees and i i, I love it i mean if ever i'm feeling sad i go to my tie drawer not that i ever wear ties anymore and i take it out and think there you are pristine condition and the other thing david about ferrari there is a car and i you can correct me if if it's not ferrari but there was a car that you had to order and it takes like a year to construct and it's all personalized and everything but you're not allowed to take delivery of it you're not allowed to drive it it's just there at the at the maranello facility in italy you can drive it around their track but you can't take are you talking this is a ferrari yeah this this is is one of the yes i mean what is that where are these, who are I, these people? I don't know enough about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. There's only so many cars you can drive. I'm going to life, give though. you something interesting, Joanne, because I, yes. I just knew while Lindsay was climbing on, which so is nice. great. It gave what? me that <laughs> going on. Joining on, yeah. <laughs> yes. Over the last 20 years, okay, and uh, this mm-hmm. is a 20-year chart, Richemont has given you 22% per annum Goodness mm-hmm. growth. Yes. That's that's in the Joburg market, uh, in our local market. So, of course, you've got quite a bit of rand in there. If yes. you look at this, that's that's what Richmond. Now, if you had to look at the PE at any given point, 
you would never find it in kind of single digits or less than 20 or less than whatever it was. Okay, well, maybe the message in all of Mm. this is Mm. when companies like Richmond Mm. and like, you know, LVMH and various other phenomenally good companies, when their share prices drop during times of market stress, close your eyes and buy them. And maybe that's the message. So maybe what if it's expensive doesn't tell you a lot, but when it's cheap, (laughs) buy as much as you can. Maybe that's the argument. Okay, this is what uh, this is what I'm telling you now. Uh, The dollar rand, having gone to the in thin conditions on Friday, gone into the 1860s, is now 1836. The British pound against the rand is 22.80. The euro rand, ooh, goodness me, it's gone through 20. 20.03. That's depressing. Uh, Euro rand is 109. 10, uh, barely changed from Friday. Uh, going on to commodities now, gold price still clinging on to 2000, 2004, up $15 an ounce. Platinum is down 7 to 1009 and palladium is up 13 to $1450 an ounce. Now I'm looking carefully, David, at our call on the oil price, which we thought might um, uh, you know, potentially uh, come down again, but here we are. I'm wrong. 1.6% higher for Brent crude at $85.54 and West Texas crude $81.35, which is up over 2%. Natural gas up one and two thirds percent. Um, and what else have we got? Copper up a percent to four pounds. Uh, sorry, $4.03 per pound. Right. Uh, on the capital markets, U.S. 10-year yield is 3.44%. The South African 10-year closed at 9.94%, 11 basis points higher uh, with the RAND story, I think. And if you look at the S&P 500 futures, I've got them now down. They were up around about a third of a percent earlier on, uh, now more or less unchanged at 4,136. Bitcoin's been an extraordinary story. 30,000, it's broken through 30,000. You've doubled your money uh, almost in around about um, six months or less, actually. 30,203, up 6.2%. And David, you're going to now give us the closing JSC indices, please. Yeah, it ended up being a fairly good day. Um, the Allshare Index up 1.14% at 7.7991, but it was all resources. That's where the you know the drive came from. Uh, resource Index up over 3% with... Uh, your precious metals, three and a quarter percent. So good day for miners. I'm not quite sure what drove that, you know, whether mm. what was happening in the market, whether it was a weaker dollar that got prices up, but um, they were strong. The rest of the market moderate, but still good gainers. So right across the board, um, uh, you know, a lot more gainers than losers. Uh, so your banks up 0.83%, financials overall up uh, half a percent and uh, industrial index up 0.4% uh, with the consumer, the consumer side doing well. And I have to attribute that to, I'm trying to find out the, the, the reason that was up, which Richmond, Richmond up 2.2%. The British American backer up 1.1%. So that's where the gain came because Richmond has a, has a very big weighting in that so-called consumer index. Let's um, leave the uh, uh, the podcast a lengthy podcast 
There's so much to digest. Um, the fact that commodities are the leader, I don't want to go for negatives today, Northern Platinum, 5.1% higher, Anglo-American Platinum, 5% to the good, BHP Group, nearly 5% higher, Sebania Stillwater, 4.4% up, and Kumba Iron Ore, 4% higher. So the old school stocks doing really well. Joanne, thank you very much for your extended time this evening. Joanne Pleasure. Bainham is from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. David Shapiro is from Sassman Securities in Johannesburg. And that was the five o'clock shadow. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.